Hello, you're listening to the Public Affairs Show on WRBH Reading Radio for the Blind. I am Carla Redondo, former chief meteorologist of Channel 4, now a certified orientation and mobility specialist. I have a visual impairment. I have retinitis pigmentosis, and I do walk with a white cane. Over the past public affairs shows, we've talked about how vision impairment affects the individual. I've talked to other individuals with vision impairment, other coaches, other people involved with visual impairment, but we haven't yet talked about how a visual impairment affects a family member or the family living with that person. So today we're going to focus a little bit on how family members are affected and how they too need to adjust and deal with the visual impairment of their loved one. Today I'm very happy to have as my guest my better half. Uh, a lot of you my age or maybe older may remember her from the 90s. Uh, she did traffic uh, on the radio. She also did a lot of TV, emceeing, and commercial work. With us today is Isis Casanova. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you. I know we talked about this for some time, and this also is new to you, vision impairment, because over the course of the last three years we've started dating, you've had to work with me and, you know, I'll, I'll say put up with me with my <laughs> vision impairment. So, what I first want to talk about is talk about that first conversation I had with you about visual impairment. Do you remember that conversation? That's a big topic that we it bring was up. A, but do you really want me to talk about it now? I want you to, yes, I want you to talk about how I approached it to you because there was a reason why I had to tell you. Yeah. Okay. So when you reached out to me and, and we were talking about going on our first date, um, you told me that you didn't drive. And uh, yeah, I offered to to pick you up, which was weird because usually the guy picks up the girl. But there were you kept saying, "There's something I need to talk to you." But I'll tell you at the date. And so uh, you were very nervous about it because you weren't sure how I was going to receive it, uh, how I was going to react. But my mind went down this rabbit hole. I'm thinking, "Oh my God, he's either married or he ran over somebody and got lost his license." I was just thinking the worst. So at the date you you did, before we even started, you just laid it out. You just said, this is my situation. Um, it's probably going to get worse. But you were 100% up front. And that was the last thing I imagined. And it was actually, I found it very comforting because it's it, you, you exposed yourself to somebody who you're, you weren't really that comfortable with. And it was a personal situation. And at the time, you were still on Channel 4. And you were sort of hiding it from a lot of people. You were, as you call it, you were passing, right? You were passing as if you were had perfect vision because you didn't want people to know and see you in a different way. And uh, for me, that wasn't a big issue. And now that is a personal thing because some, for some people... Yeah, that that would be a, a deal breaker, but it but it wasn't for me. And the reason I had to tell you that is because when we agreed for the lunch, you had told me a, a day or so before that you had tickets to a, a ballet, I believe it was. Yeah. And and I knew that going into a dark theater or trying to maneuver down aisles would be very difficult for me, and and it would be very obvious that I couldn't see well. So that's why I had to let you know that I can't see well, I have a visual impairment, and I may not be able to maneuver around, and I would need your help tremendously to get in and out of the theater, especially at nighttime. 
And I, I wanted you to know that because I wanted to give you the opportunity to say, okay, well then, uh, uh, you know, so you can back out of that part of the 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 date, the whole day. Right. So that's why I told you that because I wanted you to know that, hey, I'd love to go with you, but if, if this seems like it's too much, I understand, you know, I, we don't have to do the, the ballet at the end. And I, I think, uh, Carl, this is part of the relationship of teaching those of us who don't have experience with people with low vision or blind, we just don't understand. And it's our uncomfortness around it that that makes the situation weird. It, it's not that uh, the person that has this condition is, uh, it's not really a, their disability, it's our disability because we don't know how to act, what to say, how to not offend or how to help the person. But with you, you have been such a great teacher that you just tell me, look, low, low light is difficult for me. I need to do this. And so I've just taken cues from you. And also teaching me to, to be more verbal. Uh, I think I told you this in the past that I tend to be a pushy person. You know, I, I, I have to have my way. And so I try not to be, and so don't like to tell people, be bossy, right? But what I've learned with you, that is, it's not that I'm being bossy, but I have to give verbal cues. And for a person with 100% sight, it's obvious. You don't have to tell them, yeah, you need to turn right, and this is going to happen in this, because if you did, they just look at you and say, hey, you know. I know that. I'm not stupid, right? But with someone with low vision, you need those cues. And that's the uh, how I needed to adapt all this time. What did you know about vision impairment or, or blindness before you met me? Did you have anybody that you knew or or see anybody with walking with a white cane? Because honestly, before I started using a white cane and, and my vision impairment, I hardly ever saw anybody walking with a white cane. I, I honestly, nothing. I did when I started radio and I started doing traffic at MetroScan. We had a reporter, a traffic reporter called Harvey Hagee. He's still around and he was 100% blind. And as it turns out, he lived in my apartment complex alone with his dog. And I, to me, it was that, well, it was amazing. One, that he was giving traffic reports, although it was in the radio, we just give him the information. He had a good voice and he can deliver it, but he lived alone. And so how does a person who's blind live alone? So that was it. But I never, we didn't have the same schedule. So I never really got to talk to him or ask him. So my, my knowledge was zero. And we know that it, it does affect the family, especially a person with a vision impairment goes through the stages of grief when they're losing a vision or they, they completely lose a vision at all of a sudden. And I know the family members also sometimes go through that stage of how, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of them? What, what have you felt during this whole process about seeing my journey over the past two years? Because honestly, in the past two years, I've noticed my vision getting a little bit worse. So what, what has this been, this process for you? Well, for me, first of all, you have to remember that it wasn't that we were together when you had 100% vision and you started losing it. I met you at the tail end, so you already in that progress. And yes, I wish that you would never lose your vision, have something to make you feel a little bit more confident, but I don't think that's going to change the person that you are. Um, I don't even see your disability as as a disability. It's just a different uh, sort of thing. And and. There was something very important that you told me in the very beginning, and I think it was that first date. You said, my vision loss, it's not like I have cancer or anything terminal. 
it's just a, a different situation. And, and it was so clear, and I understood it so well. I'm like, that's true. It's not like it's a, a disease that, you know, you're, you have four years to live, and I have to li- you know, deal with that, or, you, you know, you just, you're just not going to be able to take care of yourself. It's just different. And so that's how I, I've lived it, differently. Now, I remember you told me this the very first time you saw me use the white cane. You told me something. Yeah. You tell me how you felt. Yeah. Tell tell everyone what you told me. The exact words I don't know, but the feeling was that was the reality that you I because I just don't see you as a person that is losing his sight. And to see the cane was a reality that yes, this is the situation. And yeah, I'll be honest, it was hard for me to use the cane because it, it, it sunk in. All of a sudden, it sunk in. But it's still, you do so much on your own and you get by that it was okay. And knowing what you told me at that point, I understood that it, it really affected you. So I realized that I was going to have to ease you into seeing my cane. So when we're together a lot, my cane's folded up in my hand and you're guiding me. So you are giving me all these verbal cues and telling me when we're coming to a curb. And even though I can see the curb coming up because I'm looking for it, I always appreciate you giving me that knowledge. And that's what you said, even though you don't know if I need that information, but you give it to me anyway. Well, I do it because you're kind of an airhead. I I don't think it has to do with your vision. I think you just like stumble on your own because you're an old man. sometimes Sometimes that is the reason. But no, I appreciate any verbal cues I get from anyone, even though I see what they're telling me. So that's why, you know, I've eased into using my cane around you a little bit more to ease you into it because I know it affects you as the person with me and my family members. So uh, even my parents, I, I, you know, have to ease them into, you know, talking about it or so they see my Facebook posts on a lot of things and understand some things and they listen to the radio show. So they understand a lot of things. But when you see someone, a family member, I know it is difficult. So I understand that and I try and make that a little bit. And again, Carl, it's not a you thing. It's a person that has no experience, a little experience with this. So we don't know how to process that feeling or how to say something without being offensive. That's more than anything. And that's that's what we do as instructors or someone vision impairment. And I tell my clients when I work with them, we have to teach the sighted world how to talk to us, how to yeah. act around us. And that was what the last uh, public affairs show was about how to act in businesses, how to help somebody. I know when we're at restaurants and you've heard me say that, oh, my water's here? Because waiters come up to you and they just put things on the table. And sure, he doesn't know I'm visually impaired. Right. But if somebody, if a waiter or a business sees you coming with a white cane, then a special kind of training should kick in. So I might tell the waiter next time, oh, please tell me when you bring the water or when you bring the bill, because the bill sat there for a couple of times, you know, I didn't even see the bill. Oh, I thought you wanted me to pay. Yeah, no, no, that, oh. that was early on, not, not anymore. <laughs> now, I know we've had to change the way we do things and, and, and adapt. And uh, there was one thing that I didn't really want to do, but I know it was safer. Uh, let's talk about that time we were coming out of the um, hotel in Lafayette. Oh, man. Yeah, so it was dark, oh, and man. we were heading to your car, and I thought 
you brought me around to my side of the car, which you did, but I thought the car next to yours was our car. So I was trying to open up the handles, and of course it was locked, and I thought you were just horsing around with me and keeping me locked out of the car. And then I heard some kind of yelling, and I didn't know where that yelling was coming from. Yeah. And so I was trying to get into a car where there's a lady and a young boy in the back seat, and she was freaking out because here I am trying to get into her car. Yeah, she thought you were carjacking her. Right. And then I noticed the handle moving, and the car was, she was trying to leave. Yeah. So we decided, and against my my ego, what did we decide to do? Decided, because, see, what people don't know that Carl is is a gentleman. He loves opening my door, and he'll go around. Even if it's harder for him, he needs to open my door. So we decided at night— I'm going to I'm going to take him to his side to make sure he's there because that was very scary. It was after it was after I think Hurricane Laura or something like that and it was pitch black. I mean it was hard for me to see and the woman didn't understand and I kept yelling at you from inside the car, Carl, this turn around, turn around and you couldn't hear me. I got out of the car and ran around and I said he, he can't see and that's when she said, "Oh, okay. I just didn't know." But she was pulling out and I was afraid that she was going to run up, uh, you know, over you or maybe pull out a gun, you know, but uh it's those things because it's low light and I can see doesn't mean that you can see. That's true and we've recently done something um to help me around the home. I came to you with these big black felt stickers that I need because... Looks like a big hairy mole. <laughs> yes, it does look like a big hairy mole because uh, we have white walls and white switch plates. That, see, that's another thing. For me, it's the and, and the walls are not white. They're light gray. Okay. Light gray, and then the switch is white. So for me, I can tell the contrast. It's obvious, but it isn't obvious for you. No, because I have such a small pinhole tunnel of vision that I'm seeing white, 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 and I'm trying to look for those uh, switch plates. But then having this big black felt sticker on it gives me a target to find easily the black on top of the light color. So contrast is a big issue for me, especially going downstairs or steps. Uh, contrast, uh, depth perception, uh, low low lighting. Some of these restaurants, you hear me complain, I can't see a thing in here. Yeah. So, so how has all this changed your perspective? Well, I just have to understand and remind myself that it's different for you. And, and you know, I, I, with anybody else that was a sighted person, I would just get annoyed. Like, you know, what are you complaining about, right? But I know that your situation is different. And I have to remember that what's, what's my reality is not your reality. And you've seen the frustration in me sometimes when I can't find something, and it's actually right there in front of me. But that's an old man thing. You still <laughs> like that about everything. It has nothing to do with your sight. No. Uh, you know, you, you you have seen the frustration sometimes. I realize that it's harder for me, and and that might make it harder for you. But I have noticed that you've been extremely patient and extremely uh, willing to, you know, go to those extents that I asked for. Like, for instance... I told you how a good way of telling me directions, we use the clock face. Okay, let's get here with the clock face. <laughs> yes. All right, so Carl tells me the clock face, right? So if you're facing both the same direction, tell me 12 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock. 
But this is what Carl does. We're we're facing the same direction, and I'll say, it's 10 o'clock, and he moves his body, and then he looks over to 10 o'clock, so now it's 7 o'clock. So that's a you thing. You are the one that needs to learn the whole, you know, don't move your body. If I tell you 12 o'clock, don't move your body. I know. I, I've got to get a little better at that, but the fact that you're – you're giving me directions in what is easier for someone with a vision impairment. As we talk about when we when I teach clients, you, you know, we're going to go in towards your two o'clock because that's where the front door is or that's where the uh, corner is to your three o'clock. So clock face works well. And I haven't gotten to the point where I need it for what's on my plate. But, uh, you know, waiters, that's also a good way to describe if you're bringing your a dish to a, someone with a visual impairment, your potatoes are at the two o'clock on the plate, your your veg, vegetables are at the nine o'clock, and your meat's at six o'clock. So those are good ways for well, employees I mean, to help describe. No, I don't. I disagree with that. If, if the person is by themselves, yes. Yes. But you know, a lot of the times there was someone else, and that's added work for them. But but the people that are with right, no, but when they're by themselves, that's if the you're best by yourself. Way. They, yes, I agree. Because but... a, a person with the visual can ask, would you just tell me where my meat is and the potatoes and the vegetables on the plate? But yes, the family member does that, and. And, you know, you've told me many times your glass is going to be at your 2 o'clock and your silverware is over here at your 9 o'clock. You've, you've described that, too. So you've gotten to the point now where it's almost second nature to you to talk that way to me and give me those uh, cues that I need. Now, how have you seen me in these past three years adjust? Because the process, as I mentioned, my vision has gotten a little bit worse in the past three years. Mm-hmm. How have you seen me adjust? I, I think you are very comfortable in it. You accepted it. And like you were saying earlier, that sometimes people go through different stages of grief and denial. And why is this happening to me? Maybe you went through that already before I met you. But I think you're comfortable in it, and and sometimes your frustration has more to do with your OCD than with your sight. So <laughs> I, I don't really I don't really think that you losing your sight has made it any more difficult because you're still doing that, and you're very organized, and you like you know you like things in their place, and so I think that works well for you. Part of that is OCD, where I like things in their place, but part of it is. I know where I left it or I know where it is. So when I go back to look for it, I know where it is. Yeah. But sometimes when it's not there, then I'm like, oh, okay, now I, I, I got to go find it somewhere else now or I ask her because it's not where I left it. But that's that's an adjustment. We're still we're still working through that process. Yeah. yeah. For now. now yes. <laughs> tick tock, tick tock. Now, here is a a honesty question. All right. What has been most annoying about this process for you? About your, your my vision loss. What has been most annoying to you? And annoying means it bothers you. I mean, I don't think I have anything. Honestly, I don't think there's anything annoying because your situation is your situation, and we all have to adapt. And that's something that I've learned with age that you can't paint this pretty picture of how perfect you want your life. I've had to adapt many times. I've had to reinvent myself many times. And I take one day at a time. My happiness has to do with today. What did I do today to make it happy? And so I don't have anything about your vision loss that's annoying because, one, it's not your fault. And two, you can't do anything about it. So why am I going to complain? Can't do anything about it, so don't complain. 
Have you had conversations with your family about my vision loss? Have they asked questions that they may, may not have asked me? On, you know, seriously, no. Um, they just say, well, how much can he see in the beginning, you know? But we've, but also, you know, it's a smart part of my family. We don't really talk about feelings, so I, I don't know. But for the most part, people, you know, it's funny because when I run into people and in, in people that I know and, and they know that I'm with you, um, you get two two answers. One like, oh, wow, he, I just admire him so much because he's an advocate. He's out there. He's independent. And he's, he's he's an example for everybody, right? And then you have others that go, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm praying for him. And I keep thinking to myself, praying for him, he's not, you know, it's not like a terminal disease. You know, it's not like you're going to take a pill and make it better. Uh, there's no operation for it. And they feel that sadness. And that that's what annoys me more than anything, that pity. The pity annoys me. And it's not from you, but it's from outside people because they don't understand. Right. Right. And, and and like you've mentioned, you know, I see this as a different way of doing things now. It's it's the cards I was dealt. I've always, always felt that, you know, when one door closes, another door opens or something happens for a reason. So maybe way back in the early 90s when I started having detached retinas, it started giving me an idea about my eye situation and and understanding more about eye care and how to take care of your vision, seeing an ophthalmologist, always have a, a, a doctor check the health of your eyes. That means having a doctor dilate your eyes and looking inside, not just the vision test. That's not enough for right. eye care. See, that's something that I never knew yeah. that there was even like it mattered. Right. So eye care, your eyes can be perfectly fine and look fine on the outside, but on the inside, there could be things going on that you're not aware of yet. So I was always very careful with my eye care. And so when I knew I was losing my vision, and I knew I had to retire from Channel 4, I realized, as you mentioned, you know, I'm not dying. It is, it is not something that I, I, I need to really be down about. I know that there are people worse off than I am. And when I shaved my head in 2015 for children's cancer, that was also to remind me that there's people worse off than I am. Yes. So I look at it as another door opening where I'm helping people like me, trying to be more independent, walk around safely with a white cane, and realize that I'm still doing the thing. I'm still going to CrossFit. I'm still doing the things I normally do. I don't drive, which I don't miss at all. It's easy to get a lift or the paratransit system. So it's just doing things differently. And that's what I want visually impaired people to advocate and tell the sighted world. It's okay. I can still do things. Yeah. We live in parallel universes, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the sighted world and the unsighted world or limited sighted world. Mm -hmm. We live in parallel universes. We just go about our business, but we go about our business. We don't stop it just because... Now you, like you said, now you were dealt a hand that you weren't expecting. So as we wind down this interview, I usually ask four questions. Oh, God, here we go. I know you hate two, oh two of them. Okay. What is your favorite movie and why? Like Water for Chocolate. I just think it's a very sensual movie. It's beautiful. It's romantic. I don't really watch movies too many times, but I've, I think I've seen it like three or four times. Okay. What is your favorite type of music or genre of the music that you like or a favorite artist? Oh, my 
God, Carl, I love everything. I love jazz. I love classical. I like R&B, Prince, you know, Sting. I I love them. (laughs) I know you hate these favorite or your top ten. I know. I I don't live by that because after I tell you, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I love this too. I I ask her many times, you know, what's your... Three favorite things. Uh, and, uh, so I don't you're know. Like, you're like Barbara's, you know, Walters. Yeah, if you were a twee, what kind <laughs> of twee would you be? All right, here's the third question. Uh, All right, here we go. What's your favorite hobby or what do you like to do to relax? I kind of know one of the answers. <laughs> well, to relax, I like yoga. I do like yoga. Um, and there are things that I just don't do anymore. I, like adapting and changing, I do. I used to like to play golf. Don't do that. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't relax because I'm always working. <laughs> well, that's true. But every once in a while, I see you on your bubble, cl- oh, your game, well, that's, your that's phone game. Just mindless. That's not yes. a hobby. That's well, well, just that's mild. what you like to do to relax. Yeah. I, I see you do that, and I, I leave you alone with your thing, yeah. with your your bubble uh-huh. game. My bubble cloud. Yeah, bubble cloud. Is that what it is? Okay. Now, what is something you still want to do or go to see a place you want to visit still? I have a lot of life left, I feel. And I want to do everything that I can. I want to see everything that I can. And I want to experience life as much as I can with you. Okay. I, I certainly would love that. What, uh, and the, those are the four questions, but as we leave here today, what is something you want to say to family members out there who have someone with a visual impairment or an older parent or grandparent that's losing their vision and there's no real known reason why. What what do you want to say to those other family members? I think most of all, just be patient. Take a deep breath and be patient because sometimes their frustration is not against you. It's just that because they want to change the situation that they're in. If they can't see it, they can't find it like the way they used to, they can't accept that. So just be patient. That's awesome advice because... You are an example of patience. Oh, my God. Seriously? Well, at least, at least with me, anyway. Have you not been to my family get-togethers? <laughs> well, I mean, I, that's different, but I'm talking about with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Isis Casanova, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, your insights, your feelings to let everyone know what it's like to be around and live with someone with a visual impairment. Oh, thank you for letting me be here. You know, it's so funny because we've been together now a little while. This is the second time we've been on the air together. Yes. And, uh, and we've both been in broadcasting, so it's really weird how we haven't. That's right. Former traffic and weather still together. Traffic and weather together. All right. There you go. Thank you. You've been listening to the Public Affairs Show on WRBH Reading Radio for the Blind. I am Carl Arredondo. Thank you for listening.